Church, if you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1 this morning, we're going to jump right into the Word of God for the sake of time this morning. Uh, we're going to uh, quickly uh, read through this verse, and if you'll hang with me, you're going to need to buckle up today because we're going to move very quickly uh, this morning. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, let me read to you this great story of the King that is coming. Last week we looked at the fact that we knew that the king would come, and the genealogies that we have there in the beginning of the book of Matthew point to the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy, that all of history looks to this moment when God would save people from their sins. And today we get to kind of focus in on what God was doing in time and space exactly when this king was coming to earth. And beginning in verse 18, here's what the Word of God says. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want you to think for a minute with me. Could you imagine being asked, what if the town of Wendell, what what if the governor called you today and, and they said, you know, we want to give you an opportunity to speak. We like you, we appreciate you and who you are in our community, and we want you to come and we want you to just share with us some hope. We, we want you to share with us maybe the answer to some of the needs that we have in our community, the needs that we have in our state, our country, around the world. What is some of the ways, what are some of the ways that you could help us understand how we could meet some of the needs? For many of us, if we were asked that question, we would begin immediately to think about things Like, you know what, maybe we should talk about politics. Because politics surely can help meet the needs of a community and a nation. Some of us might sit back and, and, you know, we just have maybe a a love for the environment. And we think, you know what, so much of what's going wrong in the world today is we're not caring for the world. And we might want to speak to issues of the environment. Some of us may step up to the plate and our thought would be that, you know what, if we could just feed the poor, if we could just alleviate some of the pain and some of the hurt that's going on in the world around us. But I want you to think with me today that none of those things really meet the greatest need that we have as people. The greatest need that we have as individuals is the need to be forgiven of our sins. We were created for a relationship with God. We were created to give glory and honor to God. And it is our sin that separates us. It is our sin that is stealing, that is killing, that is destroying our lives. And folks, I want us to understand this Christmas, certainly above any other time, we should be reminded this Christmas 
that when God sent His Son to meet our greatest need, He didn't send us a politician. He didn't send us an environmentalist. He didn't send us a social crusader who would just simply only feed the poor. He sent us a Savior. Folks, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the hope of this world. And if you were ever given the chance, and, and listen, just as we heard this morning, the chance is offered to us over and over and over and over and over and over again. Every day, every believer, not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just church planners, but each and every one of us have the opportunity every day to stand and give an answer to the world about what the greatest need is and how Jesus came to meet that need. What we have in this text this morning is a great picture of who this king would be through the eyes of one of the least known characters in Scripture. Go back and think about all the hymns that you sing at Christmas and all the Christmas carols. One of the characters that almost never comes up in it is the character of Joseph. He's an interesting character in Scripture because literally, when you think about the words that we have in this text, and especially in the birth narrative, he's the silent character in the Scripture. And while he may not say many words, I want you to see that his life speaks louder. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to speak loud. I want my life to speak loud so that when I do speak words, it makes all the difference in the world. And that's what we see in this man, Joseph. Though we have no recorded words at the birth of Jesus, we see these actions that he takes and this obedience that he lives out that I want to focus in on today. Because this morning, we begin by seeing, uh, we're going to look at three things today quickly. And first of all, we're going to see a miraculous conception. Now, if you notice, I didn't say an immaculate conception. We actually sat in a Catholic church mass this week. We were in Savannah, and we went to go check out one of the big cathedrals that was there, and as we went to the cathedral, we actually realized that there was a mass that was happening, so we stepped into the mass, and actually the mass was about the immaculate conception of Mary. And it kind of broke my heart a little bit. It broke my heart because so many people misunderstand the difference between a, a miraculous conception and an immaculate conception. The immaculate conception of Mary says that Mary was perfect the way that Jesus was perfect. It says that for Jesus to have been born to Mary, she needed to be an absolutely perfect vessel. But the reality is, the Scripture teaches us that Mary needed a Savior just like you and I need a Savior. When Mary sang her song knowing that she would be the mother of the Messiah, she cried out that He would be her Savior. She needed this same King. God didn't choose her because she was perfect. And what we have is a miraculous conception. A very important fact that we need to see this morning is that there is a difference between those two things. The reason Jesus would be born of a virgin, there's really two main things that I want us to see this morning. Number one, God wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of salvation. That from beginning to end, salvation, it's not of man, 
It's not of our works. It has nothing to do with our perfections because we don't have any. But it was God who placed this child, his son, into the womb of a virgin. Secondly, I want you to understand how it was that Jesus was perfect. Because the focus isn't on Mary and how he would be perfect because he was placed into a perfect person's womb. That's not what occurred. What occurred was that God conceived his son in Mary. That the Holy Spirit put Jesus into Mary. And I want you to understand what occurred there and why the virgin birth is so important. Why this important fact matters to you and to me. It is because the sin of mankind was passed down through who? It was passed down through Adam. And the reason the virgin birth was so important was because Jesus was going to be born differently than every other man since Adam. Remember, the Bible says that that Jesus Christ, he was the second Adam, wasn't he? When we think about the incarnation of Jesus, he was only the second person in history who was born without sin. And the reality is, it was interesting, we sat in that mass that, uh, last week, and literally they used the term that she was the second Eve, which we have nothing like that in Scripture. But what we do have is that the Son of God, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary, he became the second Adam. He didn't have the sin that you and I have. The inherited sin that had been passed on all the way from Genesis chapter 3 until this day, it wasn't passed on to Jesus because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He wasn't a son of Adam. He was the son of God. I also want us to see this morning, now when we get into this text, it says the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph. That word betrothal is kind of different for us. Betrothal and engagement isn't even really the same in our cultures. Back then, the engagement was kind of what happened when the parents put together the couple. If you remember, the parents chose who would marry who back in that day. We'd probably save a lot of issues, but children would hate that today. Remember, the deal was struck, the money was paid. And then they would go into a period of what they would call eventually the betrothal period. Now, many people try to compare betrothal and engagement, and they're really not the same because in our culture, you can be engaged and you can break off the engagement. By the time you got to betrothal period in the Bible, literally that meant that you were as good as married. The only thing that you had not done was decided to live together or have the opportunity to cohabitate together, and you had not had sex. You had not consummated the marriage at that point. And usually that lasted for a year as the husband went and he prepared a home, as he prepared a life for this couple, they still maintained a relationship that for all practical purposes was marriage, except for those two things. So when we say that they were betrothed, for all practical purposes, they were married. To be able to break the betrothal, they would have had to have been legally divorced. And that matters to the story because I want you to see that not only is there this very important fact about this miraculous conception, but there was a heartbreaking moment as well. 
Because when Joseph heard what had happened to Mary, I want you to understand, put yourself in his position. If you were engaged to a woman and you were supposed to be married in the next year and you knew for a fact you hadn't lived together, you knew you hadn't slept together, and all of a sudden she comes to you and she says, I am pregnant. Put yourself in that position. What words would you use to describe how you would feel as a man in that moment? Because the first question you're going to probably ask is, well, how did that happen? I know I'm not the father, so why don't you tell me who is the father? And then she comes back with what? (laughs) Let it sink in. Put yourself in their position. She looks at you and says, well, God is the father. I think it would be safe to say that for many of us, the feeling that we would have felt in that moment, heartbreaking doesn't even begin to describe it. The range of emotions between anger and confusion and frustration and embarrassment, shame, disappointment. Could you imagine all that he felt in that moment? He would be the laughingstock. He wouldn't be able to forget it because nobody would ever let him forget it. Who knows what people would say? You know how the grapevine works, right? How many people would have said, yeah, they're saying it's God. I bet it's Joseph's, right? And if it wasn't Joseph's, then they were saying, wow, can you believe what Mary... I mean, just imagine all that was occurring in their heart and in their lives in that moment that heartbreaking, that heart-wrenching moment. And on top of that, he had to figure out what it was he was going to do with Mary. And that day, what probably could have saved your life regardless was the fact that Roman government didn't like executions like this over this issue. The reality is she could have been stoned for two reasons. Number one, the fact that she had committed adultery. But number two, you have to understand from the perspective of Joseph, if he went out and told everybody, I've got to divorce my wife, and they say, why? It's bad enough that he says she's pregnant. Secondly, when they say, well, who is the father? Could you imagine how the religious leaders would have took it when he said, well, she says that God is. The blasphemy that they would have seen that as. It's amazing because out of this heartbreaking moment, we're going to find a truth that I hope that we never forget. And it's exactly what Josh spoke about just a few minutes ago, is that from the wreckage of our greatest hurts, God often builds the greatest blessings in our lives. And in this moment, God's about to do something, not just miraculous in the conception of this child, but miraculous in the heart of Joseph. And even before God steps in, it is amazing to me that you see the kind of man that Joseph is because we have this important fact in this heartbreaking moment, but we also have this gracious response. 
that before he was ever told by the angel or it was explained to him that indeed this child was from God, I want you to see that Joseph had already chosen mercy. I mean, look at it in the this, in this second verse that we looked at. Look at it in verse 19, what it says. It says literally that he chose mercy before he fully understood, before he even could grasp what God was really doing. It says that he was a righteous man and he did not want to disgrace her, so he did the best that he could do for her. You want to talk about a man of compassion. You want to talk about grace. You want to talk about mercy. You want to talk about a man in the Scripture that we hardly see him speak a single word in all of the Word of God. Look at the example that he set. That even in the midst of his pain, even in the midst of his hurt, the disappointment, all the things that we talked about just a moment ago, in the midst of all of that, he still chose love. In these verses, it's almost missed the fulfillment of what the law requires. When it says that he was a righteous man, you may as well put there that he was a man of faith. Remember that the just shall live by what? Faith. And faith is counted to mankind as what? Righteousness. And when it says that he was a righteous man, he was a man of faith who displayed the character of God in his life. truly is an amazing text. We have no malice recorded. We have no explosion in rage or jealousy. Folks, we've got to learn how to deal with people the way that God deals with people with grace and with mercy. Uh, there was a story that was told of two men who were walking in the desert says that as those two men were walking in the desert, suddenly one of the friends turned to the other and they were in an argument and they'd gotten angry at each other. And one turned and slapped the other in the face. And it hurt. And all the man did that was slapped in the face was he bent down into the dirt and he simply wrote, today my best friend slapped me in the face. He just wrote it in the sand. As they traveled on, eventually they came finally to an oasis where they were able to find some refreshment. And not knowing it, that same man that had been slapped actually stepped into a bit of quicksand. As he began to sink down, that same friend that once slapped him reached out and grabbed him and actually saved his life that day. And that evening as they were both sitting there, he noticed that his friend had gotten a large stone and into that stone he was engraving the words, today my best friend saved my life. Of course, the friend had questions. And he looked at his other friend and he simply said to his friend, why in the world, when I slapped you in the face, did you simply write that my best friend hurt me in the sand? And why, when I saved you, would you take a stone and engrave in it that today my best friend saved my life. And this is what his friend said. He said, when someone hurts us, we've got to learn to write it in the sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something that is good, we've got to engrave it in stone 
so it'll be long remembered. That's the heart that we see in Joseph. Men, we can learn a lesson from him. He was tough when he could have been weak. He did the difficult thing. Do you see it? That eventually when we get to where the Spirit tells him, and God tells him in a dream that you need to marry her, he does the difficult thing, and he, he doesn't just wallow in weakness, but he does what's difficult. I want you to see that he was tender with Mary when he could have been very harsh. He was thoughtful when he could have been hasty. He was trusting when he could have doubted. And I want us to look at ourselves today, and is that what could be said of us? Is that what describes our life? Are we tough-minded, determined to do what is right no matter what it costs us? Are we tender with our spouse, with our children? Are we thoughtful and taking time to make sure that when we make decisions, we make the right decision? That we do what is good and right and holy and we slow down long enough to be sure that what we're doing honors and brings glory to God. Are we trusting what the Lord tells us to do even when we think there's probably a better way in our own mind? You see, what I love about Joseph, he loved her even when he thought she was unfaithful to him. Is there a better picture of God's love for us than that in Scripture? We were the ones that played the harlot according to the Scripture. We were the ones that are completely unfaithful when the Bible says that God is completely faithful to us. The gospel is in itself the fact that God would love us while we were yet sinners and that he would come and die for us. You say, well, where is that in the life of Joseph? Listen, the law said to stone her. Love says, forgive her. You know what the law says about you and I and our sin? That the wage of sin is what? But what did love do? Died in her place. You see, in reality, what is so beautiful about the life of Joseph? His love covered her shame. Let that sink in a second. He could have exposed her. He could have ridiculed her. He probably could have beat her. He probably could have done just about anything that he wanted to her up to the point of having her stone. But rather than doing that, his love for her, he covered her shame. Secondly, I want you to see an unbelievable revelation. We've got this miraculous conception, but we've also got this unbelievable revelation because we understand that 
the Spirit of God and an angel of God shared with Mary what was happening to her, but he hadn't spoken to Joseph yet. And suddenly this angel appears to him in a dream. And let's look at the words again. It said, when he had considered this, he was going to put her away secretly. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That's an unbelievable revelation, isn't it? He hadn't come to grips with that. I don't know that he believed that yet. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't have put her away if he hadn't been to the point where he still thought to himself. You can imagine where he and Mary left the discussion. I'm sorry, Mary, I don't believe what you're saying to me. How can I believe it? And yet in a dream, the Spirit of God, the angel of God begins to move in his heart. And tell him the truth about what is happening. And in this revelation, he says, she's going to bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And it wasn't lost on him. Just like we spoke last week, I won't rehash it. But last week, we learned that the name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh saves. And what did he say? This child that's been born, you don't think this picked up his ears when the words were said, this child will save my people from their sins. He knew what that meant. And if he wasn't convinced yet, the angel went on and said, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Listen to what all this is here. That this child not only is going to be called Jesus, but he's also going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, he gets the revelation that Mary had that this was going to be a virgin birth. And it was important, this virgin birth, because as the Son of Man, this this child would be born in Mary. This child would be fully human. He would be born as you and I are born. He would feel what you and I feel mentally, physically, emotionally. Jesus would live life just like you and I would live life. It's hard to imagine that the Son of God, that God Himself literally would feel hunger, right? And thirst. And that He would know pain. But He was the Son of Man, but more than that, He was the Son of God. In fact... That's the beauty of what happened in the incarnation is this screams to us an important fact that yes, he would be a son of man because he was born to Mary, but he was a child of God, literally the son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, which made him the son of God. This child would have control over nature. This child would know the hearts of men, right? This child would heal the sick. He he would make the lame to walk again. He would open blind eyes. This child would speak and men would be raised from the dead. Do you see what's wrapped up in this child? What the virgin birth gives to us in the incarnation The more you think about the incarnation, the more staggering it gets. And he says this child will be the Savior, this revelation. He's born of a virgin. He will be the Savior. I mean, these are the names that he's given. How many of y'all know who George Foreman is, the boxer? 
most we know him now for grills, right? How many of you knew, how, how many of you know what his son's names are? Every one of them are George. George Jr., George II, George III, George, all the way to George VI. And someone asked him one day, why did you name all your kids George? And he said, when you have as many concussions as I do, you don't want to forget their names, right? So we all have a reason why we name our kids what we name them, correct? And Jesus had a very important name. And it was a name that God chose because it spoke to who he was and what it was that he would accomplish. But more than that, this other name, Emmanuel, God with us. Imagine what Mary, what Joseph began to understand as they understood who this child would be. Lastly, we have an unwavering obedience. A miraculous conception, an unbelievable revelation, and an unwavering obedience. Because I love what it says at the end. In verses 24 and 25, it says, When Joseph awoke from this dream, from the sleep that he was in, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, what I love about Joseph is that he was committed to do God's will. God's will, folks, if we are going to follow the example of Christ, the example of men like Joseph, then I want us to understand that God's will has to be our priority. Could you imagine how easy it would be for Joseph to have to say in this moment, or to say in this moment, you know what, God, that's too hard. God, you know what? That's too difficult. God, what are you asking me to do? Everybody is going to know that child is not mine. And if it is mine, they're going to know that we began to have relationships outside of marriage. Do you realize what this is going to do to my honor, what this is going to do to my reputation? Do you know that forever people are going to talk about me and about this and why in the world would I want to bring this into my life and into my family except for the fact that God told him to do it. You see, folks, there is something that God wants from us, and it is unconditional obedience. Because he's moving and working in ways that we cannot understand. And Joseph reminds us that the call of God isn't always easy, it's not always conventional, but it is always right. And God will give us the courage to obey him if we'll follow him. Others' opinions cannot and must not be our concern. You see, what he had to get over was what men thought. Isn't that the story of the Scriptures? Isn't that what the Jews always struggled with the most? They were always concerned about what men thought. And you know what the Bible keeps teaching us? Is that, you know what, the opinions of man, they are not our concern. The only voice that we listen to, the only voice that we care about, the only words that we should be living for are, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I love what happened to Joseph here. He had to set aside what everybody else would think of him and only think about what God would say or think. That's hard to do, isn't it? 
this was one of the most distressing, humiliating situations that we could probably ever come up with for a man to have to walk in. And I'm telling you right now, nothing, nothing but the full consciousness of our own integrity, meaning that, you know what, we have to learn to live life in such a way that I can put my head down at night and answer the question honestly. I obeyed you. I did what was right because, listen, other people are going to try to tell you what you did was wrong. And if we know what God's Word says... He knows what God was asking. He knows what God was saying of him. He knew the calling that was placed on his life. And if he had asked a hundred other people, a hundred other people would have said, you are a fool. You let her go. If God wants to do it, he'll do it in somebody else. But don't take that life. Don't take that course. That's going to be humiliating. That's going to cause questions. It's going to kill your reputation and your honor, which was everything back in that day. But he laid his head down at night, and you know what he was able to know? I did what God asked me to do, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. That's a hard, it's hard to get there in life, but folks, that's where we have to get in this life. I know what God says. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. He had this consciousness of his own integrity. And on top of that, he had the strongest confidence in God. And that's the only way he got through this situation. And I want to finish with this, and the musicians can come, that in this unwavering obedience, we find that not only must his will be our priority and our opinions or others' opinions, they're not our concern. We find that our yes must be immediate. Folks, when God speaks to us, we have a choice to be obedient and to say yes when He has clearly spoken. And, and folks, this word is not nearly as confusing as we make it out to be, as we want it to be. We want it to be gray so that we can meander and wander and, and, and find ways to do what we want to do without having to do what he says we should do. But it's right there for us to see, for us to understand who we are and who he is and what it is that he's asking of us. And he's given us his spirit and he's given us his word and he's given us all that we need for life and godliness. And the question comes down to, are we willing to say, yes, Lord? With no, with no rationalization, with no argument, with no hesitation. But see, we want to hesitate, don't we? We are all, listen adults, we are like children. Remember when your dad used to say, now? It said that there was a story of a Marine that literally, he went off to boot camp and his dad, he was one of those kids that the dad would tell him what to do and every day the dad would come and find out he hadn't done it. And when he became 18 years old, they sent him off into the military and he came home and said, Dad, you were right about a lot of things in life. He said, yeah, son, what is that? He said, I have finally learned what now means. And that's what you do in the Marines, right? How much more 
Should that be our heart towards God? Our King, our Lord, that we learn to say yes. Without the arguing, without the fussing, So many people follow Jesus when it's easy. What about when it's tough? You see, for many of us, it's easy to follow Jesus when we're a part of a group of friends who we're all doing it together or when it fits naturally within our lifestyle. But do we have the faith? And do we have the courage to do it when it's terribly hard. When it causes us to stand all alone. When we have to swim upstream from the way everybody else is swimming to keep going even when there's no one behind us saying, come on, come on. Do we have that kind of faith, that kind of courage? Because what I see in Joseph is a man who honored God by obeying his will in his life. Totally committed to doing God's will. And you see, at the end of the day, isn't that all that mattered at the end of Jesus' life? You know why he could be our Savior? Because when God said, go, what did Jesus say? Yes. When he said, go be crucified, I mean, not go be king, not go live a lavish life. But when God said, you're going to leave the perfection of heaven to go live in hell on earth, to be forsaken by the people that you've called, that you've blessed, that you've been faithful to. They're not even going to be grateful that you came. You think Jesus didn't know that before he came? And yet, what did he say? Yes. And folks, those, that, that little three-letter word will make all the difference this year in your life. Father, we just praise you. You know us, Lord. You know where we are in our walk. And Father, I pray that this Christmas, Lord, we would see the importance of that little word. That, Father, the path that you have us on is not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not that you're off doing something else or we've gotten so far off course, Lord. You are with us right where we are, and you have purposes and you have plans. And they revolve around the willingness that we have in our hearts to say yes to you. So, Father, I pray that we would have the courage of a Joseph, the faith of a Joseph, the mercy of a Joseph, that we would reflect who you are in our lives. Lord, that, that's the beauty of this text, is that in Joseph we get a glimpse of the glory that is going to come in this son. Lord, even in our sin, it's not that the glory was gone. It's just that it's shattered. 
And Lord, as we take steps of faith, you put us back together. And more and more we become who you created us to be. And it brings you honor and glory. And we see this man of righteousness. Father, may that be our plea today that you would help us to have faith. To say yes so that it will be said of us that he was a righteous man or a righteous woman. Not because of something in us, but because of God in us. This God who is with us. So Father, may we celebrate Emmanuel today. Lord, as we go into this time of prayer, Lord, be with us. Draw near us. Lord, remind us of how much you love us. Lord, there may be someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that as we as believers are are praying and asking you to examine our hearts and Lord, to show us where we need to change today because you've spoken. And and Lord, we should pray as believers, but there are people that are here today that they've never taken that first step of faith and believing and trusting that Jesus, you came and died for their sins. That you were buried and you rose again on the third day. And the reason you died was not because you were a sinner, but we were sinners. And you took our, our death and you paid the price for our sins What we deserved was placed on you and you paid the price for us. And if we will repent and follow you and and trust you and seek your forgiveness, Lord, you're willing to forgive those who will come to you and desire change. And Lord, all you say is, say yes. Let me be Lord. Let me be Savior. Lord, may we give you our yes today. And if someone here prays to receive Jesus Christ by saying, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and I believe today that Christ saved me through what he did on the cross and I surrender my life today, Lord, they can pray that right where they are. And Lord, if they pray that prayer, you will hear them. They don't need a priest. A Savior is listening. And Lord, if they pray that prayer, give them the courage to come forward today and say, Pastor Aaron, I want to be part of this church body. I want to be baptized. Lord, nothing would cause this room to celebrate. Nothing would cause heaven to celebrate more than a soul being saved. And Lord, for us as believers, we need you to speak to us. So as we bow our heads, Lord, may you move in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.